careers. Careers. Is there anything else so central to our lives that is so ill-defined and largely misunderstood? Academic careers, sports careers, college careers. It seems we're awash in careers, and yet when it comes to our professional career, the one that really matters, many of us feel somewhere between uncertain and confused. Unable to see or appreciate the common patterns or longer arcs that might allow us to understand, process, and position our own ambitions, successes, and disappointments. This is Reconsidering, the podcast that explores the ways in which we all strive to make a life while also making a living. On this episode, we're going to talk with Judy Wirt, co-founder of Wirt & Company, an executive recruiting and search firm that specializes in creative and business leaders. Trained as a designer, Judy has a unique and powerful perspective, one that's been honed over her 25 years of talking to designers, building relationships, cataloging conversations, and coming to understand the journey, challenges, and patterns many of us move through as we evolve in both our personal and professional lives. My name is Bob Baxley, and after this short break, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Aaron Walter and Meredith Black, as we listen, learn, and reflect on the topic of careers with Judy Wirt. Over the past very difficult year, many people have asked themselves, how can I use my skills and my talents to help out and have a meaningful impact? U.S. Digital Response is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that connects volunteer technologists with governments to help meet the critical needs of the public. Already, more than 7,000 people have raised their hands to volunteer their time and their skills. And they've helped more than 200 communities in 36 states and territories across the U.S. address some of the challenges related to elections, unemployment benefits, food security, COVID vaccinations, and so much more. There is work to be done and impact to be made. Sound interesting? Sign up to volunteer and learn more at usdigitalresponse.org. That's usdigitalresponse.org. Judy Wirt here, run an executive search firm for the last 25 plus years, focused on design and innovation. Through that journey, I have listened and engaged with so many stories of people and the arcs of their career, their arcs of their life. Happy to share my learnings. Paper or plastic? Paper. Morning or night? Morning. Newspaper or magazine? Magazine. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Podcast or radio? Podcast. Twitter or Facebook? Twitter. Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey? Dorsey. JFK or LBJ? JFK. Jackie Kennedy or Eleanor Roosevelt? Jackie. Speaking or listening? Listening. Lecture or Q&A? Q&A. Read or write? Read. Serif or sans serif? Serif. Paul Rand or Massimo Vignelli? Paul Rand. Johnny Ive or Dieter Roms? Dieter. Library or coffee shop? Library. Home or office? Home. City or country? Country. Hotel or Airbnb? Hotel. Scripted or improv? Improv. Declaration or Constitution? 
Constitution. Shakespeare or Einstein? Shakespeare. Tolstoy or Van Gogh? Van Gogh. Beauty or wisdom? They're the same. Mm, Very nice. And last one, loved or feared? Loved. Nice. Thank you. So I've been hearing about this database of yours for years now, that you not only, as, as you mentioned earlier, not only have you talked to many, many people over 25 years, creative professionals almost exclusively, if I understand. Could you just tell us a little bit about the database, how it came about, like even just to the degree you're comfortable sharing it, just like the fields and how you track it? Sure. Well, I'll think back to 25 years pre-database. We used to have index cards where we would write the notes from the conversations and we would tag them with a keyword. Sometimes they would have multiple keywords, so we would Xerox those index cards and file them away. And I would have special coding. It was my own idiosyncratic coding for candidates based on talent, personality, and leadership potential. I think it was in 1997, we built our first iteration of the database with a developer who's still with us today. And he helped us to organize a basic framework around the basic information, where they lived, city, state, contact information. Back then it was mostly a cell and an email. Now the contact informations have grown to Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, like wherever they live, that's where we now indicate how we find them. And it included employment, it included keywords. We have now probably over 150 keywords that we use to ascribe to a candidate. Where we think they might be suited based on either their track record connecting dots, like where they worked, or based on the quality of their work, whether they belonged at a McKinsey, or they belonged at MTV, or they belonged at Converse tennis shoes. We would start to track people that way. Every action came out of our database. So if we sent a note, we tracked every conversation, what that conversation was about, when that happened. We've saved every single email that we've received from candidates and put into a notes field. And it's Pretty awesome because I can go back and talk to a candidate 15 years later and remind them what that conversation was about or what they wrote us, whether it was a hope, a dream, or a complaint. We kept track of all of those things. And now the database is about 85 different databases talking to one another. It's a relational database. We can do search libraries where we'll build a case for what a search should be about. If it's a health company and they're looking for an award-winning designer, they you know, will search by anybody that has the keywords health, that has interaction, that has service design, that has award-winning. We ascribe the word keyword award-winning to anybody that we think is you know, of great caliber. We do our invoicing out of there. We do all our correspondence out of there. We update on a regular basis, at least 50 to 60 records a day of new status, new change of direction, people that we aren't necessarily representing now, but we will one day represent. So it's a very proactive curation of what's going on in the industry from a business perspective. We track companies, we break out companies, who's who, we have where they've moved on to, 
who they're connected to. It's like almost LinkedIn on steroids. Is that a common practice in the type of recruiting you do, or is that something that you guys kind of pioneered? We built this database. There was a moment in time where we thought maybe we should just buy an off-the-shelf product. But A, as a designer myself, I cared about what it looked like. My associate, Naju, has been with us for 23 years, has observed my process as well. And so the database is built a little bit around how I think about people and how I think about companies and how they connect. In fact, metaphorically, in the first iteration of the database, and we just launched a new version this past year. We've been working on it for like two years and we just rebirthed it in you know the typeface that we want. You know, everything is more updated. But at one point we had two different databases. One was a candidate and one was a client. And this iteration, it's just called people. We no longer have candidate and client because candidates become clients and clients become candidates in our world. A candidate 25 years ago is now a client because they've risen to a place of building an organization or a team. So everything about the database is a certain way of working and a way of processing information and in a way of curating stories. I'd love to dive into that a little bit. How does your database focus on the relationships of people? And how do you build the long-term relationships with these folks? It's how you build any relationship with anybody. It's not a sales transactional algorithmic process. We start with a search, right? So we have a search and we need to think about who that person is. But when I go out to market, I may or may not say what that search is because I first want to get to know someone. And so it always starts by just an open conversation. Who are you? What do you care about? And from that, if that person is engaged in that conversation, sometimes candidates will say, well, what's the job? It's like my least favorite response because it's so... I get it. People are busy. They want to just know, should they waste their time on something that's not... But I don't feel like it should ever be a waste of time because at some point, somebody is going to be ready for a change. It's just simple as that. People who said they never used recruiters, 10 years later, they're calling me and they can't understand why I didn't call them back the next day. I really go in trying to get to know someone. Now, there are constraints to that, right? Time, deadlines... So you have to kind of figure out how you want to engage in that conversation, for how long, what do you want to take away. The most important takeaway for every conversation is what do they care about? Because inevitably that will somehow allow me to put that into safekeeping for the next time I might have something. And I think of it as like I'm a journalist. I'm building a story around people. And the more I can build on that story at the onset, the more likely I might be able to help them in a more meaningful way down the road. Do you find that sometimes you're talking to candidates and you're sort of reading the tea leaves because some people have clarity of where they want to go with their career and some people don't. Some people need that guidance, just you know, pointed in a little bit in the right direction to understand where their talents could be applied most effectively. Talk to us about how you do that and how you help people see that. Well, I let people do a lot of the talking. And if they're talking, I can hear patterns. I can hear whether there's clarity or whether there's BS. I can hear authenticity. 
or platitudes. And I just start to naturally unravel that. I don't rush the conversation. Well, sometimes I do because I have to get to the next meeting since we're all living in half-hour intervals these days. But I'm listening a lot to what they're saying, but what they're not saying. I'm listening to what they're complaining about. I'm listening to what they're celebrating. I'm listening to where they are in their life, aging parent, young child, kid off to college. I'm able to like hear things pretty quickly and decipher like where I need to take the conversation next, whether it's in the next five minutes or in the next conversation three weeks from now. So it's a lot of listening. And then I'll call it a spade a spade in the most gentle way I can. I will say, I'm not sure that that would be the way I would think about it. Or have you thought about it this way? Or why is that so important to you? So I will provoke questions. I think back to a candidate years ago where for three years, every year he came to me, there was something wrong with the job. And I finally said to him, you know what? I don't think there's a perfect job out there, but I actually think there's something wrong with you because you're always seeing the dark side of what's possible. And he wasn't very happy with that. And actually, we didn't connect for a year. And I knew he was upset. And I sent a follow-up note and I said I was very sorry if I provoked some hard topics. And a few years later, he came back and he thanked me. He said, you were so right to kick me in my pants. And he ended up writing this beautiful poem about Judy and being a coconut, you know, hard on the outside and soft on the inside. Actually, I look at it today. He then put it into a calligraphic art piece and it's framed on my wall. But it took a few years for maybe what I said to settle in. And I do get that often. I must say that people will say, I'll never forget that hard conversation we first had. If you're coming to me just to be a yes, 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 here's the job, let's move on, I'm probably not the right resource for that person or for that client. I'm going to ask questions and I want to understand. And at the end of the day, if my legacy is that I cared to make a difference, so be it. One less placement, but I made a difference. Let's talk about that a little bit further in terms of how you focus on fit. I know you're really thoughtful about that. How do you think about the fit of a person into a role and what determines that fit? Well, fit is a funny thing because it's not a straight line. It's not obvious. There's a lot of unspokens. It's listening to the client, what they need, what they think they need, what I think they might need, and the same with candidates. But it comes down to, is there a shared value system? Do they check the boxes in terms of what's needed by way of craft? Do they share the same kind of connection to what matters in terms of culture and the kind of culture they're trying to breed? Is this person going to be able to find a mentor internally? And likewise, is the hiring company going to be willing to learn from this person? Will there be a true reciprocal dialogue that's going to come out of that? You can see the possibilities through the search process. There's a reason it's called a search process, because the process helps unfold truths about all those dimensions. And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong, but it's a collective experience. If the client is engaged, if the candidate is engaged, if we're engaged in a truly authentic way, you'll get to the right solution. 
sometimes I will be able to say, I know this candidate's right for this job. And in fact, we've recently completed a search of like six months. It took a long time, a lot of stakeholders involved. It was a complicated brief. And on the second week I submitted the candidate, I had in my belly, I just knew it was the right candidate. Because I had worked with this client before, so I already had a good understanding. I had spent hours and hours with this candidate, and I just had a strong intuition. But the client needed to go through the process. They needed to meet lots of different people before they could be clear in their own mind. I could have been wrong, but at the end of the day, six months later, they hired that person. After 25 years plus of doing this, you can connect dots quickly, but only if you know both sides. Judy, you've seen the arc of many a career over those 25 years, and undoubtedly there are patterns to careers, the different stages of kind of growth and development. What do those look like? How do you think about those stages in your process of matching the right candidate to the right job? I think of the stages in two ways. It's sort of the structure of work and life. And I can't separate those two because I think they're so intertwined. So you have work and you have the inner life. And they need to be operating in kind of parallel. But if we take work as a starting point, let's start with the first one to five years of someone's career. It's really about experimentation. It's about curiosity. It's about participating. It's about showing up. I liken it to a metaphor. I think I may have shared this with you before. Like one of my favorite children's books is Harold and the Purple Crayon. You know, having a blank slate and drawing your journey. And your first job is your first purpose crayon. You're going off and you're going to just put that crayon right on that page and start to move forward. And people are, they just need to have that curious mind. And they're going to learn the tools, they're going to learn the trade, they're going to find some people that they love to work with, they're going to find a mentor maybe that they want to partner with over the time. And they're going to learn the mechanics of a business and they're going to learn where they're starting to like find their joy and where it's much harder for them. I see that as the first, you know, one to five, six years. They just need to go with it. They need to make that first step and not be so worried, is this the perfect job for me? You know, I caution people to be too concerned about money or position, but just what are they going to learn? And I encourage people to like avoid their default settings, like just open up their mind and try to just be a porous sponge. And then year six to 10, I think people are gaining greater intentionality and able to connect dots more to what matters to them, what they care about, what they're good at. They're starting to hit their stride and building their competencies, building their relationships, learning what they struggle with, learning what they do well, and building a reputation, starting to build a reputation for themselves. It's also a time when I think people are starting to build in new family obligations, so that personal starts to creep in. They've got young kids screaming in the background. They have aging parents. So they're also trying to figure out how to like balance it all. It's no longer about hyper-individualism. It's just like, I'm now part of something larger than myself. That takes time to master that. They're going to have some wrong turns. They're going to have some failures. They're going to have a really unsatisfying job. 
they're starting to realize maybe they're in the wrong place or they're in the right place. And then it's really about how do they transcend that? How do they get past that period of time? That's a fascinating area to observe. It's so predictable that during that period of time, people are kind of coming to their own or struggling and need to figure out how do they get back on track. Maybe they've had two great jobs and one bozo job. Or maybe they've had only one job and it's gone really well, but they're not feeling it as much. They're not waking up with that same level of joy. They need to figure out why. And then you get into the 11 to 15. People are really hitting their stride. They're gaining clarity. They're able to name kind of their story a little bit. They're showing up as teammates, as leaders, as humans, as parents. They're starting to flourish. I would say this is kind of where we start to represent what we may talk to people at the beginning, but where we start to represent people is when they've sort of hit that mark. And so the conversations are a little bit deeper in terms of building their mastery, building their confidence, listening to their heart in a deeper way, and helping to reaffirm their narrative. Like that's where we sort of come into the conversation. I love that stage because I think people really do begin to show the best of humanity. They're asking these hard questions. They're asking more from their employers. They're leading people to the next phase of their careers. They're like in their moments. And then I sometimes see people needing to take a break after that period of time because they're like on full steam. And they may have a burnout. They may have some tragedy in their life. The company may close and they have to reevaluate like, I loved what I was doing. What happened? Why are we closing the doors here? A heightened level of awareness comes at that moment in time. And then you get into like that 16 to 30, sort of uh, making your mark and deepening your commitments even further. What's important to you? You're at a place where you have a mastery of your craft. You have the mastery of your content. You have the mastery of organizational fluency, business fluency, technology fluency. Your paycheck probably represents, hopefully, some evolution and growth. It's a period of wisdom, and you have so many experiences that are sort of coming together in a way that it's renewed joy. And there's a level of executive access and a level of confidence that starts to build in, kind of a higher order of problems that benefit humanity that people might start to pay attention to as well. And that's beautiful. I think of a candidate recently that we placed that took a $100,000 pay cut just because this job was everything he wanted to do. And it was worth it to him. And he's thriving. And he's contributing back. And he's got a huge team. And he's helping the next generation kind of get to where they go. So that's sort of the autumn of your life. It's just full of color. And that's the hope, right? Obviously, this is just more of a linear progression. This is not for everybody because people's lives are hijacked by so many different things that we least expect. So, you know, you can never plan for that. Then I think of a client, and this is the years 30 plus, I think of a client where it's about collective wisdom and giving back. And this is someone who is incredibly talented, has made his mark in the industry, and he's sort of like the designer emeritus in the organization. And yet he's in this liminal space of what am I about now? Like here I've created this great 
resume and contributions to this organization. And he's really full of enthusiasm, but he's full of a little bit of anxiety too. Like, what is this next chapter about? And I don't think retirement is the same as it was years ago. I think it's about kind of a second chapter or a second, as David Brooks, I'm looking at his book right now, he's the second mountain, right? Like this person is like going to go travel and embrace this personal renewal and sit in the garden with his wife. But he's achieved such great success and he can look back and think about all the things that he's done for people, for society, for the organization. And I love having those conversations with people too. And the database that we have, we don't mark it by years, but I can see if I've had a candidate relationship for 15 years, kind of know what my next call is going to be about with them. There's something really comforting about hearing these stages. Which one are you in? That's a good question. Uh (laughs) Maybe that's our next phone call. They do blur. But knowing that there's a pattern is comforting because it makes it less about the individual and what the individual is going through and more that this is life. This is life, the modern life and a career and trying to build your family and balance that with work and so forth. It's just the state of affairs, and somehow that makes it a little less stressful, a little more comforting. This too shall pass. I think also, like, there's three buckets that I sort of put all of this into. One is about knowledge learning. One is about knowledge understanding. Like, learning and understanding are very different. And then knowledge and wisdom. And I think... Every step of the way, you have little bits and bobs of that in each stage that we just discussed. But I think that that wisdom piece, it takes time. You need to trust time. You don't ever have perfect wisdom, but I think by the time you get to past the 16, the 20, you need to trust your wisdom. You need to trust your heart. You need to trust your mind. And you need to have people around you that allow you to do that. That's a very important insight because it's not always obvious. Mm -hmm. It's hard work to figure that out. And no one should do it alone. Where do you think you fit into this framework now? Well, I'm not quite at the 30. (laughs) I am making my mark, I think. I've been able to synthesize a lot of experiences. I think I bring a level of wisdom. I think I'm giving back to the community that I serve in interesting ways through mentorship, through podcasts, working on a project that hopefully we'll publish in the next few years, and also mentoring the next generation. In fact, the next generation, I will say, our son, who has been successful in his own right and ironically took the recruiting path as well, but went inside a company and was head of people an operations for a company that's doing custodian banking for cryptocurrency, and I hope I get that right. It's a very complicated space in my mind. But he's found his voice. He's sort of at that six to ten year mark, and he's going to be joining Wharton Company for the next generation of talented people, diversifying Wharton Company's expertise, and it will be a great time for me to be able to give back what I've learned and pass it on to the next generation too. Talk to us about when people hit that edge where they feel like they've worked really hard on building their career. They feel like there's burnout or there's some sort of a break. You talked about trusting yourself, but I'm curious, like, 
if there are stories or observations from different careers you've seen where, you know, how people confront the challenge of burnout and how they embrace rejuvenation. I think if people are burned out, they need to take a break. Let's start there. I mean, easier said than done. I'm not paying their mortgage and their bills. Chances are, if they have been working really hard, they probably have some savings. Maybe they need to buy one less coffee latte or whatever to make their ends meet. But taking breaks is really important. And actually, I think people, if they took more breaks while they were working, they wouldn't end in that burnout situation. And I think there's a silver lining to COVID. And I think people have found out that there's a way to balance some of those things in a more sustainable way. But I do think taking breaks are really important, whether it's a month off or six months off, or if it's working part-time and making sure you're working on a project that you've wanted to work on for 10 years to try to do that. I just think it's really important. And spend time with people that you care and love. I do think giving back to society, whether it's volunteering at an organization where you're reminded that you have something good because someone else has it much harder, is another way to sort of rejuvenate. And people rejuvenate in so many different ways. I will admit that I went through a period of time where I lost a little bit of my mojo and I started gardening. And that was my way to kind of create and trust time because gardens require time. And I came back with kind of a renewed perspective on what I was doing. It's hard work to be in burnout and it's hard work to find a way to rejuvenate. But it can be done if you listen to yourself and you don't rush it and you make sure to have the right help and people around you. I mean, at the end of the day, the world is about people. Organizations are people. Careers are about people working with people. So find your people. That feels like very sage advice to me. Actually, gardening has influenced my work tremendously, and I reflect a lot about the art of gardening as a metaphor for life. It's not static. It's not perfect. It needs sunshine and rain. It's filled with roses and thorns, cardinals and butterflies, blue skies, rain, cloudy one day, and then sunbeam raised the next. And that's life. That's your career. That's your marriage, your partnerships, raising a family. The garden is, to me, the most beautiful thing in the world. It's nature and art. Gardening is about now, and it's about many years from now, too. It's that balance of being able to see both things simultaneously and take action. When I started the garden, it was just ground. And every season now, it's like something new has come out of there. It's like that thing that I planted has become this own beautiful delight. And I don't take it for granted. Like I, I do a lot of photography. I mean, anybody who follows me on Instagram knows that gardening is my thing. I think of the garden as people in a certain kind of way. There's some big sunflowers and there's some weeds. <laughs> <laughs> weeds are just plants in the wrong place. True. Actually, some weeds are really beautiful. I actually love some of the weeds. I bring them in and put them in vases because they have their own distinctive quality. Certain weeds I like to get rid of because they're, you know, all-consuming and my gardener tells me I need to. But the garden's amazing. It's an amazing thing. Go into a garden and think of it as people or think of your career as planting a garden. 
you're going to plant a rose and you're going to plant a sunflower and you're going to plant a daisy and you're going to plant a big tree and you don't know how it's all going to come together. So Judy, I want you to just take a minute and kind of close your eyes. And I want you to try to remember 25-year-old Judy. And I want you to try to bring that Judy clearly into your mind and into your imagination. A lot of times people at this moment would ask you, you know, what would current Judy tell 25-year-old Judy? But I want to flip that around. And I'm kind of curious if 25-year-old Judy went and met current Judy for coffee, what advice would 25-year-old Judy have for you? Keep doing what you're doing. You're making a difference. And don't worry so much. And don't be so scared to do podcasts. <laughs> Judy, thank you so much for being with us. This was absolutely amazing. I hope you do many, many more of these. You have so much to share and so much to give. So honestly, I hope you find a way to do more podcasts, to do more talks, to write books, and to get some of the beauty out of your head and out into the bigger world where more people can see it. It is just a thing of joy. Mm -hmm. It is so amazing. Oh, that's the nicest thing to hear. Thank you. So let's talk about Judy. What an episode. I love the whole thing about the database. I just find that really interesting, maybe kind of in a nerdy way. What really struck me is thinking about how she had externalized her memory and how valuable it's been for me to externalize my memory. And I've, I've done it through journaling, but I found that to be a really interesting tool. And for her, like having all these conversations and amassing this understanding of people and where they are in their lives. And she talked about how it takes time to understand what people care about and that that came through essentially this really fancy and elaborate and kind of amazing record keeping system. It's interesting that the way that she captures it, too, is really focused on the people, whereas you could see someone in her line of work would, you know, tick the boxes of, like, this person has these skills and has this career arc and history, but she's really thinking about who they are, who's their family, what stage are they in their life, what do they need, what brings them joy, and she's capturing all of that as part of how she builds those relationships in her work. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about the database is that she has the ability to identify patterns that I'm sure a lot of people don't see on a daily basis. And I think that's where she has become such an expert in identifying the career arc, right? I mean, that career arc 100% resonated with me. And I think just because she's a design recruiter, it doesn't mean that that doesn't apply to everybody else. I think that career arc happens with everybody in every profession, and the different stages that you go through. So I found that really interesting. Yeah, it really stuck with me how she talked about how people's career arc patterns are kind of co-evolves with their inner life. And as she was talking about people's career arc, she was also referencing where they were in their lives. You know, what was going on with their relationships with their significant other, potentially with children, with parents, you know, just sort of their own aging and how that really intersected with what was happening in their professional lives. She just took this whole view of the person even with the latest update to the database, I'm just sort of marveling that they have one developer who worked on the latest version for two years, but they just released it in an office of six people. And she was mentioning how they used to distinguish between clients and candidates. And now there was just people because she realized that candidates become clients and later in their lives, clients become candidates. And it just sort of all moves around. I just thought it was really interesting how she just is able to embrace the whole person. Right? There is no work-life distinction for Judy. It didn't seem like it to me. It seemed like it was like just 
this is this person, and that's what's going on. And I'm trying to match make and find the right situation for them that's going to be beneficial for the company and beneficial for the person. It's a really powerful but very individual form of recruiting that took enormous amounts of time. The other thing that really struck me is like how Judy's one of the few people I ever talked to whose primary unit of time is years. You know, when she talked about the career arc, it was in years. When she talked about, oh, I had this conversation and somebody comes back to me next year. When she talked about checking in with your recruiter, like you check in with your doctor, it was in terms of a year. Like, I'm not sure she ever used the phrase months, days, weeks. It was always this much longer pace of time. So you're describing her database kind of as externalizing her memory. And it's something that you do journaling on a regular basis. And you've talked about it as a really powerful tool in your life. How do you, in your own way, do that same thing about externalizing your memory? And then how does that kind of give you extra powers in your career? For me, journaling, there's kind of two phases to it. There's the writing things down in in the moment, which is actually an interesting way of reflecting and processing what's happened. Because in the course of writing a page, which takes like five to 10 minutes, and through the act of writing, and I write by hand, you do make realizations and connect dots that you would not otherwise do. So for me, that's, you know, probably 70% of the value of journaling. The other part, as you noted, is being able to go back And the personal journal is actually a lot about me processing current events or events that are happening at wherever I'm working at the time. And, you know, we all think that we were always right. You know, when you look back, you're like, oh, I predicted that. But as you write all this stuff down, you realize how often you're wrong and how uncertain things were in the moment. And for me, it's given me a certain sense of humility and helped me often find the middle path and frankly kind of moderated my emotions a little bit in that you realize that you often tend to exaggerate the ups and the downs in the moment. You know, things turn out really differently. There's also times that are really interesting to go back in the journal and like, when was the first time I talked to Aaron? Well, I can look that up. (laughs) You know, when was the first time I talked to Meredith? I can look that up. It's sort of interesting just to go back and remember and hear your own voice in that moment when you first encountered something, and then knowing how it turned out much later. And obviously, the human memory doesn't, you know, you don't catalog things in your own memory that way. And most of us, we maybe take photographs, and photographs capture the visual scene, but they don't capture what you were thinking at the time. Bob, you got me into journaling. And I think what has been most important is, A, it gives you a perspective. Just like you said, you can go back in time and look at things. And I think it also gives you patterns that you can see. Like, what brought you joy? What was a struggle for you? Where were you happy? Where were you content? Where were you unhappy? And I think if you can go back and kind of look at that day by day or week by week, you can start seeing patterns of what in your life is making you content or happy versus not. I think it's easier to identify. So I think that can also be really helpful while journaling. If you look at Judy's The Career Arc that she outlined, which I just thought was genius and was so consistent with my experience and what I've observed of others, I could have never put those dots together in that way. But I think because she's been keeping these records and she could reflect on all of it, she was able to connect and draw this pattern that would have otherwise been really difficult to come up with. I think it interestingly kind of connects to her gardening which is if you just planted every year and you didn't take records and you didn't have good notes about what happened the previous year, it would be really hard to understand the variables that were affecting the outcome of a garden, right? Because it takes so long, like the cause and effect is really spread out. 
So I think there was something about she records things in the database. She's like looking at this. She's able to see this longer stream of communication and and life changes with candidates that plays into this career arc. So when she starts talking to somebody, she may be able to place them mentally in that framework. I think the gardening thing is an interesting metaphor for how she thinks about people's careers and lives evolving. Yeah, it is. And and as someone who's a gardener, I, th- I think about this often too. It's an often used metaphor, but with gardening, you're being intentional about what plants are in there, how they work together, and what things you take out. And so you need a lot of awareness. Probably the number one thing, the number one tool of being successful at gardening is just paying attention and being present. And I find that with careers and probably also with personal relationships as well, that that awareness of what's in the way here. And in, in the case of a garden, that would be a weed. It's a plant in the wrong place. But being intentional about what do I want in my life? What do I want in my career? And also recognizing that having a rich career might mean having a lot of different types of roles, a lot of different types of jobs, maybe simultaneously or consecutively. And that's okay. That's one of the things I really like about the career arc that she's able to articulate probably better than most people because she's just seen so many careers is that when you hear someone say like, here's the beginning of a career, middle of a career and the end and, you know, what happens along the way, it's clarifying because there are points that, you know, speaking for myself where I feel like, am I doing the right thing in my career? I feel extra stressed or, you know, here's what's going on in my personal life and my professional life are kind of in conflict and, you know, hearing Judy describe it, it's just like, that's what happens at these times. You know, it's affirming, it's clarifying that this happens and, you know, other people are going through something similar and that's okay. It feels a little less confusing and it also helps you see around the corners of like, here's what is probably going to happen in the next five, 10 years. And you can start to make plans for that. I take this back to the journaling thing for a minute because Again, I think one of the big values of journaling is that it helps you remember that in the moment, you never actually know how things are going to turn out. Yeah, and I right. think once you, once you can really accept and internalize that, it calms you down and it gives you a lot more confidence to move through your life and make decisions. And perhaps we can close with one of Judy's quotes that she had towards the end there that I, I think captures this really well, where she talked about how you just really don't know how things are going to turn out. And the quote was, think of your career as you're planting a garden, you're going to plant a rose and you're going to plant a sunflower and you're going to plant a daisy and you're going to plant a big tree and you're not going to know how it's all going to come together. It's very true. And yet all of those things are valuable and useful and beautiful and interrelated one way or another. Reconsidering is created by Meredith Blackbrandt, Bob Baxley, and Aaron Walter with editing help from Brian Paik of Pacific Audio. Original music for the show was written and performed by Kimo Meraki. You'll find a full transcript of this episode and all the links mentioned at reconsidering.org. If you've enjoyed the episode, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player. And if you'd like to support what we're doing, we'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. It'll help others discover the show. Until next time, Remember, life, like the seasons, is ever-changing, but satisfaction can be found every day when we tune in.